Now, there's a TV show that's out there. I'm not endorsing it. I'm not telling you to watch it. I'm just telling you that it's out there. And uh, it's been on television for about 132 years. It's been on there for a long time. And the TV show is called The Simpsons. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've, you've seen it. You don't have to admit that now. Maybe you, you know what I'm talking about. There's an old, old episode of The Simpsons from a long time ago, season six. So it's a long time ago. And in this particular episode of The Simpsons, the church is all up in uh, an uproar because somebody has stolen money out of the offering plate. They have offering plates. They're not cool like us with our pails. They have plates. And someone stole money out of the offering plate. And so everyone, of course, is pointing the finger and looking at the 'er ne'er-do-well character in the show, Bart Simpson, and just saying, well, he definitely took the money. And there's only one person who stands up for Bart, and that is his sister, Lisa. And she gets up in front of the church and she says, now all of you are very willing to point the finger at my brother without any proof. And then she turns to the pastor and says, but reverend, does not the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? And the reverend Lovejoy in the show is a little taken back that this young girl would use scripture against him like that. And he kind of dismisses her and he turns and he says, well, I think it's somewhere towards the back. Now let me assure you that the things that are written towards the back of the book are every bit as valid as the things that are written towards the front. But what the the situation highlights is what we think is true about churches and a stereotype about churches. That churches and church people and organized religion love to take any opportunity they can to judge other people. And they don't want anyone coming along and telling them that they can't judge other people. In fact, if we were to talk to people outside of the church walls, or even if we were to talk to ourselves inside the church walls, we would admit there's something that really bothers us when one group of people is judgmental towards another group of people. Just last fall, the Barna Research Group, they uh, did a survey in which they asked people to agree or disagree with a number of statements. One of the statements that they asked people if they agreed with or not is the statement, no one person should ever criticize the lifestyle choices of another person. No one person should ever criticize the lifestyle choices of another person. It may not surprise you that 89% of Americans agreed with that statement. 89% of people in our culture said, yeah, that statement is true. I agree with that. No one person should ever criticize the lifestyle choices of another person. And 76% of people who identify themselves as Christians also agreed with that statement, saying no one group of people should ever, or no single person, should ever feel like they can criticize the lifestyle choices of another person. And in our culture, and even inside of us, right, there's this thing where we really don't like it. It doesn't sit well with us. Um, We don't encourage it, and we don't want to be known as people who judge, It's something that doesn't really sit well with us about that. And yet that is the way that most people look at people in the church. They look at people in the church and they say, those people are people who judge other people. And one of the big problems with organized religion is it gives people who think their way is right license to look at other people and tell them their way is wrong. And that judgmental attitude, that judgmental spirit, that is something that people outside the church don't really like. And that is something that we inside the church really 
don't like. And so when we come to the book of Romans, if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been walking through the book of Romans. When we come to the book of Romans, and we're in Romans chapter 1, we have a little dilemma on our hands. Because we don't really like it when one person or a group of people judges another group of people. But when Paul starts off in the book of Romans, it kind of sounds like that's exactly what he's doing. He starts off in the first half of chapter 1. And he, if you remember two weeks ago, I was here and we, pre- we talked about that Paul said he has an obligation to preach the gospel. Because the gospel is the power unto salvation. Paul's saying, listen, I think I have the answer when it comes to the question, how do we resolve our relationship with God here and now, and how do we do it for eternity? He said, I have the answer. The answer is in Jesus Christ, and I have an obligation to go and share that solution with other people. And so he tells us he has that obligation in chapter 1. In chapter 2, or in, in the second half of chapter 1, Paul starts to talk about who it is that needs the gospel. Paul says, here's the deal. The gospel says that the answer to fix our broken relationship with God here and now and in eternity is Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about who needs this message. And all of a sudden in chapter 1, and if you were here last week, Pastor Rick talked about this, Paul starts pointing the finger at people and saying, do you see those godless, immoral, irreligious people who have rejected God and do whatever they want? Paul says, those people, those are the ones who need the gospel. And now within the church, when we hear Paul say something like that, we can picture, right? We can picture the people uh, who are hearing this letter being read. So this book of Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. It would have been received and read to the church. And you can see people's heads starting to nod, can't you, as this is read? Yeah, Jesus is the answer. And you know who needs this answer? Those people out there. They need this answer. And so Paul is saying, you know the people that have rejected God and live immoral lives and do whatever they want? They need the gospel. And you can see the heads starting to nod in the church, can't you? Yeah, Paul, you're right. They do need it. And there's something about that that kind of bothers us, doesn't it? We don't really like to judge people that way, and we don't even like to hear Paul judging people that way. But this morning, what we're going to find out is that Paul's not done speaking. Paul's not done talking about who needs the gospel. Paul hasn't finished his thought. All those big numbers in your Bible, those chapter numbers, someone else put those there. Paul didn't put those there. This is one continuous thought that Paul has. And so, yes, Paul says, here's the gospel. Jesus is the answer. And people that have rejected God need it. But he's not done talking about who needs the gospel. And this morning, we're going to talk about the other group that Paul says needs the gospel. If you have your Bible with you, uh, you could turn to, we're going to read the last couple verses in Romans chapter 1. We're going to read the first five verses of Romans chapter 2 here. And talk about the shift where Paul goes from talking about them to another group of people. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen, but there's some Bibles in the chairs in front of you. I'm going to start in verse 28 of Romans chapter 1. Here's what Paul says right at the end, talking about 
those people. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, and they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now watch what Paul does. He switches. All those people nodding their head in church saying, yes, Paul, those are the people who need the gospel. And now he switches and he says, he starts using, instead of using the word they, he begins using the pronoun you. And he starts talking to all those folks that are in the church nodding their heads about who needs the gospel. And this is what he says. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, there's something inside of us that doesn't really like it when one person judges another person or when one group of people says we're better than you and judges another group of people. It turns out that Paul doesn't like that much either. That Paul also doesn't really like it when a bunch of religious, self-righteous people get up and just point fingers at other people and tell them how wrong that they are and judge them. Paul, it turns out, doesn't really like that much either. In the second half of chapter 1, you have religious people, moral people, Upright people nodding their heads and saying, yes, Paul, those bad people out there, those immoral, irreverent people, they need the gospel. And Paul, all of a sudden, while they're nodding their heads, turns to them and throws cold water all over them and says, no, 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 no. Everyone who's nodding your head right now, be careful. Because you who are passing judgment on others are just bringing judgment upon yourself. Why is that so? You see, it turns out that the thing that Paul dislikes about judgmental people is the very same thing that we dislike about judgmental people. And that is, most of the time, when we find ourselves judging other people, it turns out that we're being pretty hypocritical. And so Paul says, I know that you're in the church. I know that you're moral people. I know that you're upright people. I know that you try and do the right thing. But be careful when you point fingers and nod your head and judge those who have rejected God and and point your fingers and tell them how wrong they are. Be careful when you do that. 
because you ignore the fact that even though externally you look very differently, internally you are much the same. In fact, Paul says all of those things I just read about the evil and the, the gossiping and the slandering and the covetousness and the lust and all of those things that I, we just read at the end of chapter 1, you all do those kinds of things. Everyone that's nodding their head and pointing their fingers and shaking their heads and saying, yes, get those people, Paul. Paul says, listen, be careful doing that. Because even though we can't see externally you doing those things, even though you put on a good face and you put on a good show, God knows that behind the scenes and in your hearts, those very same things are happening. And Paul says, listen, you are being hypocritical. It's the same thing that bothers us about judgmental people. The same thing that bothers us when people go and judge other people. Is there something inside of us that says, well, what makes you think you're so good? You have faults too. So who are you to tell me that I'm so wrong? And Paul says, be careful with that. Even though externally you're moral and good and righteous, internally you're in the exact same place as these folks. And God knows. God knows what's happening. And he, in these first five verses, chides these people a little bit to say, you can't just assume that because God has not punished you yet, that he's okay with your hypocrisy. You can't just assume because life is going pretty well for you right now and God is being kind, you can't assume that he is okay with what you're doing. He's not, Paul's saying. He's not okay with the external, righteous, self-righteous, judgmental attitude and the internal hypocrisy that's happening. And Paul says, be careful if you're assuming that he is. So externally, you might look different than those irreligious, immoral, impious people. But internally, you're much the same. Now, for many of us who are in church on a Sunday morning, we're the religious people. Most of us that are in here this morning, that's, that's us. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, is Paul talking to us? Is Paul talking to us? And we may say to ourselves, well, he's not talking to me because I'm not a judgmental person. But I would ask you to consider that just for a moment as to whether or not we really are judgmental people. You see, I think it gets exposed maybe not in the big things, but maybe in some of the small things in our day. Like when you go to the grocery store later today, and there is a line at the express checkout. You only need to pick up a couple things for lunch this afternoon. And so you go and you pick out your three or four things, and you look at the sign, and it says 10 or less. And so you hop in the line, and you start looking at the people in front of you in the line. And you start counting in their basket just how many things they have. And inevitably, there will be somebody in the line in front of you that you'll get to 10, and you'll be like, well, 11 and 12. And they're not surely counting all those yogurts that are all in their cart as one item, right? Every yogurt should be counted separately. And we start to think to ourselves, who do these people think they are? That their time is so much more valuable than my time. That they can flaunt the rules like this and come into this line with 12 and 13 items. Who are these people that think 
to have the audacity to do such a thing. And then we'll get on the road and we'll be surrounded by people that should have failed their driving exam. We're convinced that they should have failed their driving exam. And we can't figure out how all these terrible drivers are allowed to be on the road. And then we'll turn on the television and we'll secretly love it while we watch reality TV stars go through pain and struggle. And we'll kind of smile when a politician gets in trouble and falls. And something will will be just a little bit happy inside of us when an athlete gets caught doing something wrong. We think to ourselves, man, I knew they weren't as good as as they pretended. If we think through our day, we may be more judgmental than we really want to admit. In fact, all of us are judgmental people. We think that we're right on certain things. We think that we're better than some other people. And what Paul would say to us this morning is be careful. Be careful because what starts to happen in us, as Paul is bringing out, is that we're very good at understanding our own uh, motives and our own objectives and ignoring those of other people. We're very good at understanding our own intentions. So maybe we'll have 12 items and the 10-item checkout lane today when we're trying to get home. But we're really in a big hurry. And there's a lot of people coming over, and we hardly ever do this. We never do this. We never get 12 items and go in the 10 line. And so we said, well, today I'll do it. And it's no big deal because I'm a good person, and I normally don't do these kinds of things. And God understands. He understands, you know, I'm a good person. And I I even went to church this morning, so I can get away with this. And we can justify our own actions, even while we're condemning the actions of others. And Paul says on a much grander scale to these people sitting in the church, that's exactly what you're doing. You're saying, well, well, you know, God understands. We're good, moral, religious people. And so, yeah, we're greedy. And yeah, yeah, we, we struggle with lust too. And, and yeah, we get angry. And, and, and we do all those things. But God understands that we're good people. We're not like those people. We're not like those people who have rejected God completely. We like God. And we love him. And we want to serve him with our lives. And, and so God understands that, that there's all these other things. No, we're, he knows we're trying our best. And he knows we're trying to, to do what's right. And, and, and we're, we're not like those people, definitely. We're better than them. Paul says, be careful. Be careful saying that. Be careful thinking that God is okay with the hypocrisy. Be careful thinking that God looks at us any different than he looks at other people. What Paul says to the church there in Rome is you people that are trusting the fact that you're good and moral and pious to bring about salvation is just as ungodly as the people who have rejected God completely. If we're trusting in ourselves to be good enough to impress God and to be better than other people, if it's all about us and our actions and what we are doing, Paul is saying, we're no more saved than the people who have rejected God completely. Because the people who are saved are saved by faith alone, Paul has told us already. The people who are saved are saved by their belief in Jesus Christ. 
So someone may reject God completely, or someone may be trusting in their own good actions. Either way, they're in the same place. And Paul is saying, do you see all those irreligious, immoral, impious people? You see all those rebellious people? You, who are trusting in your own goodness to save you, internally, you're all the same. Externally, it looks totally different. Externally, it looks like you're better people. You're good. Go to church. You're religious. But internally, you're the same. And so be careful. Standing up on the milk crate in the public square and condemning people. So what is Paul saying to us? Paul is saying this. He's saying that the Christian stance, the proper posture when it comes to the gospel, is not Jesus Christ came to save us and those people need it. The proper, prop, the proper stance, Paul says, is Jesus came to save sinners and nobody needs it more than me. Jesus came to save those who are lost, save those who are far from God, save those who cannot save themselves, and nobody needs that message more than me. And so the proper stance of the Christian is not to go and to stand up and to point fingers at those people who need it. The proper stance of the Christian is to come alongside of people and point to Jesus Christ and to say, listen, I'm no better than you are. The only reason that I have found salvation, the only reason that my life is different is not because of anything that I have done. It's all because of what he has done. And so I'm not going to stand here and point my finger at you and say I'm better than you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you I am exactly like you. I was lost. There was nothing I could do on my own to fix it. And so just like you, I am totally dependent on Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. And everything that I do, all the the good moral things I try to do are a result of that salvation, not the cause of it. I don't do these things so I'm accepted by God. I do them because I've already been accepted through Jesus Christ. And so I live for him and I honor him and I do what he asks me to do. But they're not the cause of why God loves me. They are a result of the fact that God loves me. And Paul is saying the proper stance of the Christian is to recognize that no one needs the gospel more than me. That when I look in the mirror, someone who needs the gospel, who needs to be saved, is staring right back at me. That's where we begin. About six or seven years ago, one of the real pillars of This church, Mount Hope, passed away. And even though she was a pillar of the church, in in real life she was a very small, statured person. And her name was Evie Kuriakis. Some of you know Evie. Evie was probably in her mid-80s by the time that, that I knew her. And maybe, maybe was five feet tall. But she was one of those people that you just knew was close to God. You know those people? That it seems like, I know that good works can't save you, but if they could, Evie would definitely be in. It's very difficult for me to picture Evie ever actually doing something wrong. And even though she was so godly, 
and led a, the, a prayer ministry at the church and, and did all these things, she would sit in the front row of church. And one thing that used to make me smile was that no matter what the sermon was on that day, if there was an action mentioned that was contrary to what God would ask us to do, Evie would always say two words. So if, if the sermon was on, let's say, not gossiping, we said, listen, uh, the sermon said something like, listen, uh, God does, doesn't want us to be gossipers. Evie would say her two words, and you could hear them from the stage. And if it was on, you know, um, um, proper ethics and sexual ethics, let's say, and you would, you, would say, you would say what God wants us to do, and then Evie would say her two words. And then if you would, you could talk about anything. You could talk about uh, gambling or anything immoral, and, and, and Evie would always say her two words. And you could hear her, whenever you brought up the topic, from the front row say, that's me, every time. That's me. And I remember one time in particular, I was talking about um, being on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And if you've ever been on Bourbon Street, it's quite the place. And I meant, m- mentioned something that, you know, all of these activities, all of these activities that would be not accepted anywhere else, for some reason when you walk on that street, it's all okay. And I said, whether that's, you know, the, the drugs or the alcohol or, or prostitution or whatever it is, like you walk onto Bourbon Street and all of a sudden it's all okay. And so I made, this, I made this point that all of these things are going on Bourbon Street and I heard from the corner, that's me. And in my head I'm like, that is not you. It is not you at all. Trust me, I was there. This is not you. But Evie understood something. That even if she had never been in that place physically, doing those things, spiritually, the same. Even though she was the leader of the prayer ministry, even though she could quote more Bible verses than anyone else I knew, even though she would constantly be leaving three-by-five cards with words of encouragement for people around the church that she was praying for, even though she was so pious and godly and everything else, she knew that spiritually she was no different from the person spending their night on Bourbon Street, doing whatever they wanted. She knew that, they, that she was equally in need of the grace of God as was the person who was running away from God and doing whatever activity it was that they wanted to do. Spiritually, they were the same. We sing that song, Amazing Grace, and we never sing, we don't sing, Amazing Grace, how save, sweet the sound that saved the wretch like them. It's it saved the wretch like me. But do we really mean it when we sing it? Paul says to us in this passage, listen, the proper posture of the Christian is not to point fingers. The proper posture of of the Christian is to point towards Christ and say, listen, you need him as much as I do. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. I am in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And if I don't have him, I'm completely lost. And you need him too. We're both in the same boat. No matter how close to God I am and how far you are, we are the same in our need for Christ. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up as we close this morning. 
you know, this is exactly what Jesus said as well in his ministry. Exactly what Paul is saying, be careful about judging other people. Jesus said the exact same thing. In fact, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's probably his most famous public speech, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, much more towards the middle of the book than the back of the book, says those words that we started out with at the beginning of the sermon. Jesus himself is the one who says to the people, judge not, judge not, lest ye be judged. And in John chapter 8, when there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and the religious leaders pulled her out into the street, and they picked up rocks ready to stone her to death because of the activity that she was involved in, Jesus is the one who stepped in and said, okay, you religious people, if any of you have no sin, go ahead and throw a rock. And of course, they all walked away. Maybe one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16. Jesus himself said in that passage, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not die but will have eternal life. We hardly ever continue on to John 3.17, but it's part of the same thought. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. And then the next verse... For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And sometimes when we become moralistic, self-righteous people, we forget this truth. We think Jesus did come into this world to condemn people. Those evil people out there. But that's not why Jesus came. He came, yes, because they need a Savior, but he came because I need a Savior, and so do you. We want people to be authentic in our culture. That's a big deal to us. We want people to be true to who they are. This is what Paul's saying. Listen, be true to who you are. Yeah, you've learned to do good things, but who you really are is the same person who I am, a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. We're all in the same boat. And so maybe this morning would be a morning that you would need to come before God as I often have had to do in my life and you would need to come before God and you would need to say, God, would you forgive me? Because once again, I've thought that this is all about me and I've thought it's about my righteous acts and I've become prideful and I've become confident in myself and I've forgotten to put my confidence in you. And so maybe this morning would be a morning that you would come to God and you would say, God, would you forgive me because I've become all prideful again. Maybe this morning is a morning that you would put your trust in God for one of the first times, for the first time ever. Or maybe you would put your trust in God again. Maybe you've walked away and today's the day to come back. You know, at the end of our time together, we always have some people up, we almost always have people up here to pray with people. I bet there's been times in many of our hearts and in our minds where we've said, man, I would really like someone to pray with me. I should probably go up. But then we've looked around and we've said, thought to ourselves, but if I go up, uh, people are going to be judging me. 
People are going to be wondering, why am I going up? And maybe the people who are praying up there, they'll judge me. When I tell them what I need prayer for, maybe they'll judge me. I hope you understand in this sermon this morning that there's nothing that you can say or there's nothing that you can come to prayer for that we're going to judge you for. We are all the same in need of God's grace, in need of God's forgiveness, in need of God's mercy, in need of his healing touch. So as we close this service today, I would invite you. If there's something to pray for, this is the one place where we're not going to judge. This is the place where we recognize we're all at the same level in front of God. So please come. We want to pray with you. God, we thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the reminder that our salvation has nothing to do with our own actions, but everything to do with the actions of Jesus Christ. God, help us to be the kind of people who evaluate our own hearts and our own lives first. That we're not the kind of people who just point the finger and say, yes, they're the people that need to be forgiven. But we would look in the mirror and we would remember that we are the people who need to be forgiven. That just like Paul said, Paul said, Jesus came to save sinners of who I am the worst. Would we have the exact same heart and attitude as Paul? To say, God, you sent your son to save sinners, and I need him more than anybody. And then would we have the courage to come alongside those who need God as well. And not look down on them, but point them to the same Savior who saved us. I would encourage you in this time we have left this morning. to ask God for his forgiveness. To those places in your life where you've been trusting more in your own goodness than God's love for you. To place your trust back in him and not yourself. For those places where you need to repent of being prideful and looking down on people. When the truth is you need God as much as they do. Pray that I ask you to take this time and do that this morning. And for those of you who are walking through anything and would like someone to pray with you, we'll be up front to pray with you as we close. So would you stand and let's continue to worship our God and let's spend time in his presence together this morning.